I'm sub minute early. Doesn't matter. Tiny bit early. <laughs> it's fine because today has been chaos. Good chaos. But I don't think I ate anything until about one o'clock. Still wearing my sunglasses. I don't, <laughs> I don't need Still wearing my sunglasses. It's pitch dark outside. Uh, it, it, it has been a day and, oh, jeez. Live on your channel. Weekly, okay. Mute all of that. Get rid of all of that. Um, it's been, it's been busy. Not to say it's been chaos. <laughs> it's been, well, it's been mostly good. I did smash an iPad. That, that wasn't great. Uh, it was an old iPad <laughs> in my defense. I have fixed it already. And by fix it, I mean, I now have a new iPad. As a part of all of these renovations and various things we've been doing, I was putting pictures on a wall, back up on a wall roughly where they belong to in the first place. Uh, and because I'm a mathematical person, I had figured everything out on an Excel spreadsheet. Some photos are portraits, some are landscape. They're this wide, this high. The string is this far from the bottom, which means the hook must come this far in. And it was all on Excel, on the iPad, sitting there on a shelf, which I knocked off onto the tiles <laughs> as I hung a thing. So... Um, I did have a Gen 3 iPad Pro. I now have a Gen 6. This was impressive how fast it was, actually, because I, like, I think I smashed it. It was after I dropped the kids off. So I smashed it at like 9 o'clock. And by midday, and some money less, <laughs> Apple had a new one like at the door. Um, look, it did actually have a crack partly on the screen beforehand, so I, I don't feel like it's a complete loss. I will be taking the Apple Care on this one, as I've started to do with all my Apple things, because I think it's probably good insurance. Richard's here. G'day, Richard. Christian, good morning for Christian. Brendan, somebody's early. I'm a day early because I'm going to Perth very, very early tomorrow. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. G'day, Gordon. Gordon's here too. Let's uh, let's do the sponsor, and this is uh, this is Groundhog Day, and it's a good Groundhog Day because it is still Collide, and Collide has been a wonderful sponsor for many, many, many months, more than a year, I'm sure, if we go all the way back. Uh, but it has dominated the sponsorship bar this year. Collide ensures only secure devices can access your cloud apps. It's zero trust, tailor made for Okta. Book a demo today. Achieving Zero Trust, Okta, now we have discussed before, Mac, Windows, Linux, iOS, and Android. Um, and look, they're doing a really good job at what they do. And I, I think this this whole premise of Zero Trust and making sure that only allowed devices can do the things that they need to do on the network is a massively important thing because there are a lot of data breaches. We're going to talk about data and privacy more today based on some of the topics here on the list. So... Big thanks to Clyde. I'm sure that you'll see much more of them. How would I know? <laughs> in the future. So thanks, folks. Really appreciate the support. Trady Trevor's here. Nick 7 London. London. I will be back in London in September. I, I feel like I'm going to have some single-digit hours in London. <laughs> Not flying through. I'll be driving through. I'll talk more about that later on. Uh... Richard says Collide just signed up on Runners as well. Oh, good stuff. Runners Radio. That's oh man, that takes me back. I've been listening to that since I want to say 2012. Let's say more than a decade. And of course.net rocks. Everyone listens to .net rocks. Glenn Afternoon from Perth. Looking forward to the meetup next week. Okay, so let's talk about Perth. Uh, and then Richard's gonna have me back on the show. 
you know where to find me. You married me. Well, you kind of married me, <laughs> so you can you can find me. So uh, we are off to Perth very early tomorrow morning. So we're at uh, uh, 12 hours from now. We will definitely be on the road driving to the airport to get onto the plane to go to Perth. Now, if you're from the other side of the world, flying from here to Perth is one side of the US to the other side of the US. Uh, it's probably London to, I don't know, like Istanbul, or like a very, very long way. It is about as far as you can go. It is further than going to New Zealand. Now, for some of you, you might go, yeah, sure, I live in a country where our border's another country. And but, I mean, Australia is like, it's massive. So we've got to fly across the desert, no one there. Get over to Perth, and then we're there. Now, we're going tomorrow being Friday, our time. We are going to have a few days down around Margaret River area. Margaret River is known for wine and sharks. Uh, we will be seeing more of the former <laughs> and hopefully less of the latter. I saw a shark out here for the first time the other day. Been here what, eight years? First time I've ever seen a shark out here. Wasn't big. You know, nibbler. Nibbler. <laughs> and that was it. So anyway, we're going to Perth. Now, going to be doing two things in Perth. So I'm going to be doing a... Actually, let's get the correct nomenclature. Uh, what did we call this? So look, uh, Cybersecurity Unlocked. Ask me anything with Troy Hunt. 9 May in Perth. So this is something we're doing in conjunction with Microsoft. It is... Literally, nothing is prepared. <laughs> so I'm not going to have a presentation. I'm going to go up there. Oh, I've got to pack stickers. I'm going to pack stickers. I'm going to bring those, some 3D printed logos. Uh, and then you guys, hopefully, who was there? Glenn. Glenn and co are going to ask me questions, and we're going to somehow make an entertaining event out of it. Otherwise, I'll just talk about random shit, and we'll, we'll make it fun. It'll be interesting. A little bit more organised. The next day, Cyber West, the Cyber West Summit is in Perth, uh, 10th to 11th of May. So I will be keynoting on the 10th of May. I think there is some shindig, is the official term, that night that Charlotte and I will be at. So we'll we'll uh, we'll have a couple of beers and, and talk about uh, more random stuff that night as well. So that'll be great. I'll be there for those events. Now, not on my agenda, but now that I think of it, Thursday next week, we'll be getting on the plane, we'll be coming back here, straight home, and then to AusCert. So AusCert, our homegrown security conference, homegrown being it is Gold Coast-based, probably Australia's premier InfoSec uh, event, certainly on this side of the country. That is going to be on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We will be there at the gala dinner on Thursday night, and apparently I'm on two panels on the Friday. So if you're in this part of the country, the world, Get along to Ozsert. Uh, it is an event that I love going to every single year. It's nice to like drive 15 minutes to an event instead of flying to the other side of the world and being jet lagged. Now, speaking of local events, other things this week. This is Privacy Awareness Week. The week where we are all more conscious <laughs> of our privacy. Maybe a little bit of a sort of a hallmark term. But uh, it, look, it, it is a thing where you get a bunch of organisations, uh, I, I guess, focusing on the aspects of privacy. And two days ago, I went up to Brisbane. Now, Brisbane is normally a one-hour drive. This was a two-and-a-half-hour drive as I sat there in traffic. Got up there, and I did a talk for the Office of the Information Commissioner, uh, which, is, which is really, really cool. For, for a couple of big reasons. I mean, number one, they are our, I, I think the correct term is a, a, a data regulator, whatever, a data regulator, privacy regulator. 
uh, for our great state of Queensland. And uh, I guess number two, I still find it very strange as the person that has been sent all of the data from the really illegal activity and then put it in a big index where you can search for it to be the one who's then invited to talk about privacy. Now, that being said, I, I think the intentions of Have I Been Pwned being, a, being an ethical service to try and help you recover from the data breaches, uh, that obviously comes through. So uh, uh, it, it, it is an honour to be able to go and speak at a, a government privacy conference uh, about privacy. Now, I, I did a keynote um, and I, I did sort of uh, some of the usual stuff. I, I spoke a lot about uh, Genesis Market. So I've done a couple of talks recently, obviously just in the last few weeks since that, that takedown, about Genesis Market and the way it obtained browser fingerprints and cookies. Uh, it's great to be able to show like that FBI takedown screen with the FBI agent with the hoodie looking at the screens, with the hoodie looking back at them, have I been pwned up there, and the half-munch cookie sitting on the desk next to them. I think that's... How did I end up here? <laughs> that, that is a really, really cool thing to be able to talk about that. So um, that was epic. So I went and spoke about that. And then I went on a panel with our information commissioner uh, and a couple of other folks as well from the industry. One, a professor that does a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, work around ethics uh, and, and another lady from the industry who's again, has a lot of experience talking about privacy. And, and privacy is a, a really specific niche within technology and infosec and uh, I guess our own niches within, uh, within the industry. And it, it was it was very interesting for, for the folks in other parts of the world. There's a couple of things that make Australia a bit different privacy-wise. Now, if if we look to Europe, it's it's a very privacy-centric part of the world. Part of that is due to GDPR, but I mean GDPR came about because there is a different sort of social acceptance of privacy, and even within Europe, it's very different. Uh, that the Germans, in my experience, are extraordinarily privacy-centric more so than the Dutch over the border or other parts of, of the EU. And it's interesting how different this is in not just different parts of the world, but different parts of even the same continent. One of the things that, that came up in the discussion yesterday is, is Australia has the Notifiable Data Breach Scheme. And this came into effect, uh, I, I think, about five or six years ago. I'm trying to cast my mind back. Uh, around about the time that, that GDPR landed as well. And it was our first mandatory disclosure uh, regulation. It's uh, it's a start, but there are some things that are very unique about it. And two of the things are very unique. And this this came up a little bit indirectly on stage <laughs> while I was sitting next to the privacy office of uh, privacy commissioner. Um, one of them is is that in order to be subject to privacy law in Australia, uh, a business needs to have either revenue of $3 million or more, Oz, if you're, let's make it simple, if you're in the US, that's about $2 million US, maybe a little bit over $2 million US. Now, that is a single-digit percentage for Australian businesses, or you need to be dealing with sensitive personal information, for example, medical data. And then in terms of disclosure, one of the, the carve-outs is you self-assess as to whether or not the breach is likely to cause serious harm. Now, I, I kind of take issue with this because it, it feels very 
out of step with parts of the world. Those of you listeners from Europe at the moment, a good example. But I, I think that the thing I lament is the way we kind of balkanize the world and we go, the, the folks over here, they get a certain set of 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 controls and protections. And then the folks here get a different one. The folks there get a different one. By the way, you're all on the internet and you're all using the same sorts of services that get breached. Now, you're never going to get everyone to agree on things like disclosure timelines or anything like that. I look, I, I get that, but it, it it feels a bit out of kilter. And to me, it, it's almost like that Let's take an organization that has a data breach. No matter how big you are, no matter what your revenue is, no matter how sensitive the personal information is, if you have a breach, you should tell people. Now, that doesn't seem so hard, does it? And I made this point on the stage the other day. I, I dislike this $3 million situation. I dislike this serious harm situation. The example I gave is I said, look, take catforum.com. Now, this is exactly what it sounds like. You go to, let's make sure it's still here. <laughs> before I go down this rabbit hole, I've used this in so many demos before. Catforum.com. Uh, is it still up? Yes. My cat is pregnant. This is new to me. A new cat person has arrived. Siamese or just a lucky mix. Female obese cat gained 10 pounds in seven months. Holy shit, how much does a cat weigh to begin with? Like that's that's substantial. Oh, look, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm not a cat person. <laughs> Regardless, when you sign up, let's see if it's on the sign-up page. Uh, username, password, new to cat forum, join now. Uh, email, uh, username, that one, uh, email address, can't have a comma. Uh, probably can't have a comma, who knows, dot com. Password, ba -ba, some uppercase, that, that. Uh, I do agree to the terms and conditions. Register. Mm-hmm. All right, so username, email address, password, normal stuff. Oh, wow, has this changed? It's taking me straight in. What if I go to my account and I go to my profile? Uh, joined a moment ago, last seen a moment ago. About, maybe they're on a new platform. Do I need to find another cat forum? I'm getting distracted. <laughs> the point is, for a very long time there, you sign up for Cat Forum and it asks for your date of birth. So you give your date of birth, it's got personal information about you, uh, obviously it has your email address, your password, this sort of thing as well. Now imagine Cat Forum gets popped. So they get very breached, you get a million records floating around the internet, and Cat Forum, for the sake of example, is subject to the Australian Notifiable Data Breach Scheme, and they have to self-assess is this likely to cause serious harm? And they sit there and they think about it and they look at the topics there. Untrusting cat. <laughs> is there ever a trusting cat? Come on. Hissing, dry cat food. Cat won't stop scratching at bedroom door at night. Ringworms or ferals. Of... Anyway, we get off topic. They look at this and they go, it's just cats. It's not likely to cause serious harm. We won't report. But this data is floating around the web. And at the very least, the folks in there, let's say it's a million people. A million people are going to start getting spam. At the worst, you've got a million people who've used the same passwords they've used everywhere else, and those MD5 hashes just aren't going to cut it. But it's not likely to cause bladder leakage and reobstruct. Oh, get off it. It's not likely to cause serious harm, so they don't report. And this is 
the issue I have, and I made that point as I sat there on the stage a couple of days ago, I, I feel that there should be a burden of disclosure, full stop. I, I don't honestly don't feel that that's too much to ask. Uh, George, M1 roadwork traffic these days. I don't feel it was just roadwork either, George. I, I, there are a couple of crashes. There was that big fire uh, where tragically a firefighter died as well. We just, just learned this today. Uh, and I, I drove past that. I think that might have been part of it as well. So anyway, tomorrow morning going to the airport, uh, touch wood. I have never, ever in my life, despite many, many hundreds of flights, ever missed a flight. And I don't want tomorrow to be the first one either. So early, early, uh, early start tomorrow. Christian, may the 4th be with you. Of course, may the 4th for everyone listening to this. Uh, it's also World Password Day. How many will change to Star Wars related passwords today? That's a good question. Uh, cat, cat, skip, skip. Um, Richard says, to the point, it costs you nothing to report to your user base. You already have their email addresses. I partially agree with you, Richard, and th this is what we should do the show on, actually, while I think about it. I, I won't name who it was, but there was a data breach recently that went into Have I Been Pwned, and I had a, a very friendly chat, and I mean that sincerely. It's, it's not like friendly. It's a very friendly chat with the organization involved, and that they said, look, we, we have never had to email all of our customers, and it was a large number. And they just didn't have a mechanism to do that. And I've heard this many times before. I think it's a really interesting question to put to an organization. If you were to have a data breach today, how long would it take you to be able to email all your customers? Keeping in mind that if you go and spin up a, a, an Amazon instance to, what's the Amazon one, SES or something like that, to, to send mail, um, You've got possibly no reputation for either the IP address, possibly very little reputation for the domain. You're suddenly sending out potentially millions of emails. How many of them are actually going to get through? A bunch of it's going to bounce. Uh, sending emails isn't necessarily cheap. Like preemptively planning just to be able to send emails, I, I think is a really good thing. Now, speaking of really good things, I'm going to, I know I'm going to blow a bunch of time on this, not tonight but over the coming days. The padlock icon is dead. Now, here's what we're going to do. Let's make this interesting. Because uh, <laughs> Scott Helm sent me a message. <laughs> and rather than me putting it in front of people, I'm going to ask the people here what you think. Uh, let's open this image in a new tab. I'm going to take this and I'm going to paste the URL of this image into the chat. Ooh, why is it 262 characters long? That's massive. All right, I will just link to the blog post. Google has published a blog post within the last week. Uh, this is in the chat, the URL. Now go to that URL if you listen to this live and have a look at it. 2nd of May, an update on the lock icon. Seriously, the folks listen to this, go and load it because I'm going to ask you a question about this in a moment. Google has finally indicated what we have been prophesizing for many, many years, which is that the padlock has passed its time. We now have such a huge proportion of the internet that is secure by default, we don't need the padlock to indicate when the connection is secure. We can get rid of that, which is a positive visual indicator, and instead defer back to negative visual indicators when the connection is not secure. 
Now, this is fantastic because it makes security the default. And when you are in the default position, there is no need to show anything. When you deviate from the default and you have an insecure connection, then we can set off all the warning bells and things like that. And Scott and I have been talking about this for at least five years, years and years and years. Like This is coming. It raises many interesting questions. And here's a question I'm going to put to everyone. I'd like you to leave the answer in the chat. Have a look at what Chrome will change the padlock icon to. If you scroll down a little bit, you'll see it. Let me paraphrase, not a paraphrase. Let me tell you exactly what Scott's question here was. <laughs> Scott's probably still asleep. He said, hey, what did this icon make you think of? Now, scroll down to the icon. It's the one with the two circles and two lines. And in the chat, honestly and candidly, what does it make you think of? Because I'm just curious if it's just Scott and I, because I know exactly what he meant when as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> anyway, back to the padlocks. What I think is going to be really fascinating about this is there is so much ingrained in communication from websites and certificate authorities and governments and law enforcements and online safety guidance and all the rest of it about look for the padlock. Because when you look for the padlock, you know that the site is secure. Now, of course, people didn't understand what secure meant. A lot of people thought it meant trust. It doesn't mean trust. Never meant trust. Very explicitly does not mean trust, despite what CA is trying to sell it on. So when that is gone and a society has been ingrained with this message for decades to look for the padlock, what does it now mean? Now, I'm going to look at the comment. <laughs> it's just here. Richard says it looks like a slider control. But Glenn has seen it. <laughs> Glenn has seen it. Uh, Gordon says looks like the... <laughs> no, spend more time. Spend more time. Maybe it's just... Well, it's not just Scott and I. It's, 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 obviously, um, it's obviously Glenn as well. And I will never be able to refer to it as anything else when I do talks on stage just because I want to see the audience reaction. <laughs> John says, I think everyone's too scared to, to quite comment and answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's one of those things. It was like, once you see it, you will never unsee it. And I don't know how long we're going to be so... Like, we, we could have had a hamburger icon. Hamburger icon would have been pretty non-offensive to everyone. But, yeah, anyway... <laughs> okay, let's let's just call it what it is because if people are listening to this later on, on the podcast, they're going to be wondering. So uh, Alana one two three four five six seven eight says, "Hey mate, is that site secure? Yeah, buddy, it's got the sixty nine. Let's be honest, it looks like a sixty nine. And as soon as you think about that and you look at it, you'll get it, and then you'll never be able to browse seriously again because every secure site you go to, you go ah." Uh. <laughs> so I had a um I, I get these ideas of blogs that scratch a bit of an itch where I really just want to write something. And the itch that this scratched is I would love to start now going through um <laughs> I think Scott's just messaged me about this. <laughs> he has. I gotta mute that. Um, I was telling him to join the live stream. <laughs> join live stream. 
uh, I'd love to write a blog post about how much information is out there right now telling you to look for the padlock icon. Now, I have not practiced this. I've not done it in advance, but let's go to Sectigo because Sectigo has had its moments. Let's just say that. Sectigo has had its moments. Now, uh, I wonder, in fact, you know what would be even more fun? Let's just search for site, sectigo.com, and we'll search for the word padlock. <laughs> Scott's here. <laughs> G'day, mate. I just relayed your question about the the new icon. Uh, and I'm not sure if you can see the previous chat before you joined, but, but people have worked it out. The padlock replacement icon, uh, henceforth known as the 69 icon. Now, uh, <laughs> I'm just, just talking about padlocks and iconography and the dependency on it. And Sectigo.com has got uh, a lot of results talking about the padlock, which really, if you want the HTTPS padlock on your website to look for the fully green, to, to look fully green and perfect, when was the last green? Jeez. Why isn't my site's padlock green or doesn't have a dress bar? Because you've got a modern browser? Ah. Wow. That's... Uh, could you believe that Sectigo has really outdated information here? So this is going to be fascinating, and Scott, for your benefit as well, as I was just saying, after we started talking about this on, on our, our other back channel the other day, I, I have a, a massive urge to write a blog post about all the instances where CAs in particular are, are emphasizing looking for the padlock. Because how long is it now going to take us to detrain people about looking for the padlock? Because we've been saying this for, geez, since the 90s, right? Like, look for the padlock. You know, the site's secure. Don't enter your data unless you see the padlock. And now we've got to say, look for... Okay, we probably might say that. But we'll say, look for... Look for... What do we say? It's like, make sure there's not a bad message on the screen. Or look for the other icon who, whose name we probably shouldn't mention anymore. Um, Scott's got a bunch of screenshots here shared. We'll have a look into those, which are... Uh, I suspect various organizations talking about the padlock. Yeah, I did see that earlier on. So this is a good one from Scott. He tweeted here, it's in the chat. So it's things like, um, Sectigo, what is an incentive validation certificate? The type of SSL certificate provides the highest level of trust. Now, of course, this is a, a problem with Sectigo conflating an encrypted connection with trust, which we all know it doesn't mean. Uh, I think anyone listening to this knows who I now. There's one here, Namecheap. Oh, geez, you know they're going to have good information. They know your website and organization can be trusted. So, I mean, I guess this is, it's not explicitly look for the padlock, but let's go back a bit. When you invest in an extended validation SSL certificate, you are investing in the absolute peak of SSL security. Nothing keeps your website and customer data safer. <laughs> Once customers click the padlock next to your website in the browser address bar and see your company name, they know your website organization can, can be trusted. Oh, you know what we should do? Imagine every website, particularly every CA website, that says click the padlock had to change that to click the, we know what icon it is now, <laughs> next to your website in the browser address bar. Oh, that'd be great, wouldn't it? That's comedy gold. <sighs> this so should be a PubConf talk, Scott, or a... Uh, NDC party talk or something like that. That's gold. 
Okay, so um, yes, that is an interesting one. Now, Scott said, uh, oh, in fact, where are we here? Gordon, if the bar isn't green, it's not super secure. Of course, we're many years past the green bar. Scott says, all of them for any type of certificate talk about levels of trust. And Chrome called out the misunderstanding of trust as part of their messaging. Let's go back to that. What exactly did Chrome say here? Go back a couple of steps. Uh -huh. One more step. Where does the word trust appear here? Chrome says, for example, we know the lock icon does not indicate website trustworthiness. We redesigned the lock icon in 2016 after our research showed that many users misunderstood what the icon conveyed. Five mentions of trust here. Uh, another point here, when showing Chrome UI in research studies, users would look at the padlock to evaluate the trustworthiness of hypothetical e-commerce site. Uh, we think the tune, oh, it's not a six and nine, it's actually a tune icon. I know which one I prefer. It does not imply trustworthiness. Yep, agree with that. Uh, the fourth mention of trustworthiness here is the lock icon is associated, uh, okay, replacing the lock icon with a neutral indicator we know it is. Neutral indicator prevents the misunderstanding that the lock icon is associated with the trustworthiness of a page. All right, that's cool. Then the last one's just someone who's got uh, trust in their title. So th this is fascinating, and we've got till September before this lands in the masses. So at this point in time, we've got four months to undo two and a half decades with the messaging about what the icon means, which, which is going to be fascinating. Uh, I'm sure that there will be much humour to be had uh, for both the removal of that icon and the introduction of the new icon between now and then. Okay, let, let's move on to, to, to something else. And, and I know that this is a very a very different change of pace, uh, but, but it is a, a, a serious one. And I'm, I'm going to try not to be overly serious about it because it's, um, it's a divorce blog post. Let's just jump into that now some of you here i guess richard and scott in particular who are very uh very close to me and, and were part of my my mine charlotte's my wedding only uh how long ago is that now eight months ago uh have an unfair advantage in terms of the insight into things let's just, just say that but i wrote years ago about dealing with stress. Now, when did I write about this? About three years ago, uh, July 2020. Um, sustaining performance under extreme stress. And it was a combination that the stress I had, my IoT lights just turned off. Combination of stress I had with that MA process with Have I Been Pwned. But I think it was also the first time I mentioned um, divorce publicly. And, you know, like that's a, a stressful period in anyone's life and part of the way that I, that I dealt with it is I, I started writing about it and it's it, it's an extraordinarily delicate subject for all very very obvious reasons you know how do you write about something like this whilst uh what's the right way to put this without disclosing things of a of a too personal nature without throwing anyone under the bus with without without, I, I guess, compromising on your own values. And um, I started writing this years ago. And as time went by, I, I'd add a little bit. And sometimes it might be days, sometimes it might be weeks. 
in more recent times, as, as all of this became more ancient history, it, it, it might be a month before I look at anything. But I kept contributing to it, and particularly when there were times that were were extra difficult for one reason or another, I'd, I'd go back and I'd, I'd read this, and, and somehow it would sort of calm me down a bit because it, it became a, a, a channel by which, for, for me to explain it publicly, I, it had to be all my rational thoughts. You know, you, you can't be wild and emotional. Uh, it's something that took years. This is, the, without doubt, the longest I've ever spent writing a blog post, the most times I've ever read it, the most times I've ever reviewed it. This is, yeah, this is just crazy. Um, so I kept doing that. And there were themes that kept coming out and I broke it down into categories which which is in the post and I I thought that's what we'd talk about now. Now what I will say before I jump into that the the feedback from it has and I posted this about 24 hours ago now has just been enormously positive because I think it strikes a chord with a lot of people. Now Charlotte said she sent me a a tweet with a stat before let me see if I can find this but it was um, here we go world statistics on Twitter, uh, and the stat was around divorce rates, and, and it's quite fascinating because it's divorce rates by country. So the country with the lowest divorce rate is India at one percent. The highest is Portugal at ninety-four percent. And I do kind of wonder what's going on in both those countries. That does seem like a fascinatingly high number. But to to bring it back to I guess where the the meat of my demographic is. The UK is 41%, New Zealand 41%, Australia 43%, the US 45%. And if we were to take that range just between that sort of, you know, 40 and 50%, it, it's probably going to be like two-thirds of people that follow me or listen to me. So it is fascinating that out of my audience, almost half of you have or will go through this process at one time or another. Yet it's it's something that that is is so emotional and, and as I'll talk about in a moment, uh, often stigmatised as well. Anyway, point being is it got enormously positive feedback because clearly so many people have been affected by it. So I, I thought what I'd do is I'd, I'd go through these headlines and just try and give a little bit more context. And yeah, you know, I never said it explicitly in this blog post, but yeah, I'm not going to talk directly about personal stuff. You know, there's like two people listening to this that, that do understand that, uh, and that is a discussion that you have with very close friends over a, a lot of beer. <laughs> but, but publicly, there's only so much that is right to share. The first headline I had here was nobody cares. And I wanted to lead with this because I think the thing that, that I struggled with originally is that there, there is stigma. Uh, there is a social stigma. And there is a personal stigma. I certainly had a stigma around it. Not so much towards other people. I really didn't care if someone was divorced or not. That wasn't the point. But for me, it was like nobody goes into a marriage. I I didn't with my first and I certainly didn't with Charlotte either, thinking that it's not going to last. Like it's it's a lifetime thing until one of you is dead. Like that's the plan. And when it doesn't work out that way, you do kind of feel like, like it's a bit of a failure. I, I remember the first person outside my very close circle of friends that I I told about this. In fact, I, I remember it was. I was, I was at a, a, a conference in Minneapolis. I was at NDC in Minneapolis. And someone in, in my 
let's call it like medium term social circle, someone I knew and I'd seen a lot, but is, is not someone that I, you know, reach out to regularly or anything. And they, you know, said, yeah, it's just a casual chat. You know, how's everything going? And I told them and I felt, I felt very, very awkward talking about it. You know, I mean, now it's just like, yeah, <laughs> whatever, it doesn't matter. But it was very, very hard to, to overcome that and actually talk about it. It felt super, super awkward. And, and the point about the nobody cares headline is that this person didn't really care. They're like, man, how are you? Like, are you all right? You know, do you want to have a chat? Should we go for some beers? Like, you know, what, what, what do you need? They didn't really care about the fact that you, you entered into something which, which you had the best of intentions lasting forever, and it didn't. So I think what, what very often happens here, and based on the, I mean, people can read publicly a lot of the feedback that came back by Twitter. I've had a huge amount of DMs and emails and things like that as well. This really resonates with people where they're like, look, it's, you know, it's ultimately a stigma that you hold on to yourself. So that was really interesting. The, the other one here, the next headline here is that everyone has their own story. And I think when you go through this, you, you feel in some ways very alone very much like, man, this is this is just me. Like, why is this happening to me? And perhaps part of it is is the previous point about the stigma, where people don't like to talk about it a lot. Uh, but what's really fascinating is as time passes and you, you sort of calm down a little bit, and you realise how many people have gone through very similar things, and in some instances, much worse. Now, I'm going to give you maybe two examples here. Uh, and honest to God, these are, these are real examples, real people. I'm obviously not going to name who they are. First one here says, someone I spoke with recently was married to an abusive drunk. They knew the relationship was over when they found themselves thinking how easy it would be to push their inebriated spouse down the stairs. And I remember this person explaining it and I was just like, holy shit. Wow. It's like, okay, you, you didn't do that. That's, that's good. Uh, but it was such an emotional time in your life that you you got to that point. And, and the next one here was a friend confided in me about how their partner had physically assaulted them since the birth of their child. The kid was about to enter adulthood. And, and this person had to go through, I guess, like 18 years worth of this, uh, which is like it puts your own problems in perspective, right? Um, it's, it's certainly, I imagine there is a spectrum of, the easiest divorces and the worst ones. And when you look at it like that, you're like, well, okay, that's, it's good that none of that was an issue, which is just, just appalling. But the point is, is that as much as you think that your own circumstances are unique, they're almost certainly not. And there are other people going through very, very similar things. And based on those stats before, yeah, almost half the people that you know or meet or bump into are going through or will go through the same sort of thing. And I, I think it... You know, I opened this blog post and I feel like these are some of the first words I wrote and then they stuck there till the end. I opened this blog post with the sentence, the paragraph, I wish I'd read this blog post years ago because these are things that I didn't understand and it took me a long time to understand them. Now, one of the, the common pieces of feedback that came through, uh, and, and again, you can read a lot of this publicly yourself on the Twitters, is people appreciated the, the openness from someone that does have a following. Uh, now, it took me a long time to be willing to, this is like a year's worth of uh, time that has passed in order to feel comfortable doing this. But 
I think sharing this does help people come to terms with the fact that their situation is the same as mine in, in many, many ways. Next headline was people will draw their own conclusions. Look how quiet the chat's gone. As soon as we get off sexy icons and onto really, like really serious stuff, <laughs> everyone's just like, oh shit, this is serious. People draw their own conclusions. I, I think we all have, to one extent or another, concern about how people think of us. Uh, you know, how do your friends think of you? How do your family think of you? And there's, there, there is the temptation to inject your viewpoint into it such that they think favorably of you and negatively of the other person. And, and what I found was really fascinating here was that over the course of time, people seem to be much more interested in your attitude as opposed to what you or your previous spouse had or had not done. And I, I guess what I mean by that, and I think I said it somewhere in here, is that people get attracted to positivity. If, if you're negative and you're down in the dumps and you think the world is ending, and you particularly when you're derogatory towards someone else, even if they really, really deserve it, they seem to judge positivity very, very well. Uh, and without going into too much detail about that, I, I think that that's a really, really important message. Next headline here was, listen to what is said, judge for what is done. And I give a little bit of an anecdote in here. And the, the, the hard thing here is that when you're in a relationship with someone, there is the natural expectation that you are both after each other's best wishes. You know, you, you want for them just as much happiness and well-being and everything else as, as you want for yourself. Uh, and, and that's that's a selfless way of living in a relationship. Like that, this is this is normal, right? This is certainly the way I feel in in my marriage now. Uh, her happiness is, is paramount, as is mine. But once you go through separation, divorce, suddenly that's that's no longer necessarily the, the case. Your brain is still thinking. It's like, yeah, I've been with this person for for years and years and years. You know, uh, yeah, obviously they want the best for me. And it's it's easy to hear messaging that that has all of the all of the all of the right words, which don't necessarily always align with the actions. And I guess that the point I was getting to here, and, and this is one of the, I guess, pieces of gold I got from my lawyer that that was really really helpful over time, was to look at the actions. So what do the actions tell you? So imagine you've almost got a sort of Get your brain going. Let us not hear anything more, read anything more, and we just look at what's done. Look at the actions. What does this person do? And then we'll judge them on that. And I I quoted something here. I can't remember where it came from, but I, I found this quote, which says, characterize people by their actions and you'll never be fooled by their words. So I think that's super important. I, I think just generally in life, I have very little tolerance for people saying... Uh, you know, I believe this, or you should do this, or people should behave that way. Or I think I use the term in here. It's it's like the the be kind of misdirection. You know, it's like of course everyone should be kind. Uh, if you go out there and say I'm a kind person, I say well, well that's wonderful, but what do you actually do? It's the actions that matter. And I think this is a, it's the sort of thing that you you teach your kids as well. It's like look at what people do, treat them based on their actions, treat them what they actually do, not what they say. But you got to rewire your brain a little bit because you're so used to just taking someone at their word. Uh, 
the Rashman effect. I read a book, which was unusual for me. I read several books. It was very unusual for me uh, in general because I'm now of the small sound bites mindset, right? I need little bits of information in small parts. And I spoke about the Rashman effect. And I, I think what I'll do is I'll just read the quote here uh, from the book. The effect is named after, and already I'm getting to Japanese words I can't pronounce, Akira Kurosawa's 1950 film Rashomon, in which a murder is described in four contradictory ways by four witnesses. The term addresses the motives, mechanism and occurrences of the reporting on the circumstances and addresses contested interpretations of events, the existence of disagreements regarding the evidence of events and subjectivity versus objectivity in human perception, memory and reporting. In other words, an event can happen and there can be multiple people who witness it and they all perceive it in different ways. And where I was getting to here is that in a relationship, like even if you're not divorced, let's say you've been, you've got a girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, for some period of time and it breaks down and you each have different interpretations of the same events. That That's not unusual. It doesn't mean that one of you is right and one of you is wrong. You've just got this different interpretation of the circumstances. And Rashomon was sort of really good and. I guess recognizing that that there is there is a known construct by which people can view things differently with uh, and have different different perceptions, particularly in a highly emotional point of your life. Now this next headline was very um, very important. It doesn't matter what caused it. There's, there's almost like a social compass here and a legal compass. And, and the legal compass in many ways is, is easier. And as I said here, we have the concept of no-fault divorce. It's been in Australia since before I was born, <laughs> in mid-70s. No-fault divorce. Uh, you can have someone who is a raging alcoholic uh, abuser and someone else who is a saint, and there is a divorce, there's no fault. That's, that's the view. And now they are two extremes, clearly. What more likely happens is you have two people that have decided to wind up a relationship and each of them think that the other person has things that they've done wrong and is, is probably the devil. It doesn't matter. It, it has no impact whatsoever in terms of the legal process. There's the other bit, which is the social bit and what's going on in your brain and the blame and everything else. And that doesn't matter either. And, and the real side doesn't matter is it's very easy to look back and go, well, this person did all of these things, did this, did that, did whatever else. And I certainly found many reasons, and I'm sure she found many reasons as well. This is what we do. We look for reason. But it didn't change anything. You know, like we are here at this juncture now, and we've decided to go down a path. It doesn't change anything. And, and what happens is it almost sort of ties into the quote at the very end of the blog post, which I'll read when we get there. But your brain is, is living in a past and it's reliving pain and that has a way of, of really really messing you messing with you uh, multiple people replied both in the, the the twitters and the comments on the blog post around the impact on mental health and when you go back and you keep reliving things that are painful it's not good for your head uh, now that's not to say i just didn't do that like of, of course i did everyone everyone does but I find, at least with myself, it's like I can go through, whether it's this or anything else in life, I can go through a point of being emotional about something, and then, I, and then I calm down a little bit, and then I look at it and go, how much does that actually matter? 
in terms of the causal relationship breakdown, it, it doesn't. That's the past. You're moving on. It's the future. Now, kids, this was a, this was a different one. And I, I, I told, there, there are very few things in here that I, I spoke about specifically in terms of my own circumstances. But this one I did because I, I thought it was, it was actually kind of fun when we told the kids uh, about, about separating. And it was quite funny that, that Ari, who's, who's now 13, he was nine at the time, uh, when we told him, and his mother said, you know, do you have any questions about this? <laughs> he said, can we have pizza for dinner tonight? Like that was in his list of priority. He wasn't thinking about the mechanics of the household and oh, going backwards and forwards between houses and school and where does the money come from and all this sort of thing. He's like, I would really like pizza. It would be great to have pizza for dinner tonight. Like that was his priority. And of course, there are circumstances where there is impact on kids in either financial ways or support ways or, or, or God forbid, uh, well-being ways. But in our situation, that was not the concern. And and what I sort of said here is that the kids were really interested in, in I guess, the, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs sort of thing. It's like care, shelter, love, purpose, all this sort of thing. They were worried about, well, they, they weren't worried. I, I guess what I was going to say is that they were worried about the things that are that are more impactful to their 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 well being, as opposed to the things that were just me- mechanical duties about about how to live between two families. Um. It, it does get harder when we get to the point of you've got two parties with, with different views of things and different priorities and possibly conflicting messages, like where do the kids sit in the middle of that? And I, I've spoken here about loyalty binds. And to read the quote here, a loyalty bind in divorce is where the child does not feel allowed to love both parents. He has to, he has to side with one or the other about any number of issues, big and small. His anger, sadness, and anxiety increases as he feels pushed to choose, and either choice results in the loss or fear of loss of the other parent. He can't win. And that's super, super hard on a, on a kid, right? Particularly a kid that, you know, they don't have the stigma I spoke about before. You know, kids of that age uh, are not aware of the, the social construct of, of marriage and, and all the rest of it. They, they have very little grasp on what that means. Different when they're older. One of the things I learned as I went along, kids who were, let's say, into their teenage years, um, girls a little bit younger, uh, based on the reading I've done, they were the ones that would make life hard. Now, I didn't put it in here, but I, I can think of some examples of, of close friends where they had children not a lot older than ours, three, four, five years older. And it was a very, very different story because they are socially aware enough to understand the stigma uh, and also aware enough to be, perhaps particularly in those circumstances, manipulated into having negative thoughts about the other party. Now, this is not necessarily a recommendation, but if you're going to get divorced, doing it when the kids are younger, around that age, you know, ours were like six and nine, uh, is a much better option than when they're older and they get all of this sort of social expectation or when they're too young and they need a lot more support. Um, wasn't planned that way, but here we are. So the loyalty bind thing is, is extraordinarily hard, and and the, there's sort of the implicit loyalty bind and the explicit one. Now, the, the explicit one's a little bit easier to understand. If uh, if you were to, to front up to your kid and go, 
gee, that other parent's a dick. <laughs> you know, like they did this or they did that, or they're terrible people. That's obviously very explicit because what does the kid do? Do they feel angry towards the person that you're talking about or do they feel defensive? Because in an ideal world, they should have an equal amount of love and support for each. And then the implicit one is, is actually a lot harder. And again, without going into, into specific examples here, imagine a scenario where, where the, the kid observes a parent responding in a certain way. It could be responding emotionally, perhaps without even using words, when something about that other one comes up and, and then they get ingrained. They know that if they talk about this thing with that other parent, then it upsets this one and they feel that tension that exists, which is, is, is really not their burden to bear, right? Uh, and it's not explicit denigration or anything like that. It is just something which they observe. Uh, and kids, kids are smart, right? Like they pick up on this stuff. Seeking professional help, and I'm pretty sure I spoke about this in the the prior blog post around stress, but but seeing a psych is uh, it, it can be enormously valuable. Now I remember the <laughs> in my history of seeing psychs, I think the first one I saw very casually was when I was at school, and I was uh, I would have been sixteen. I was living in Singapore at the time, a little bit unfamiliar environment, and it was a school psych, and I'd go and see him every now and then. See him or her? I can't remember. But I, I just, I, I just recall it being an opportunity to talk through something with someone and being able to maybe just write my thinking a little bit. And this is kind of what I said in here, which is the guy that that I would see very regularly, Clive. He he'd help me sort of get through because your brain's just got so much stuff going on. He'd help all of this stuff focus through to something much more, much more tangible and easy to resolve because it's kind of like you've got a hundred things going on inside your head you can't deal with them all you're literally dosing your brain so how do we actually focus that and figure out what's what's important what's the core uh, professional help was enormously enormously valuable to me as i said in here he wasn't the first person that i'd seen but it was the first one that connected and, and i think that there are different people that you you will resonate with uh I would imagine that continually jumping between different professionals in this regard is, is probably more of a reflection on you if that's what you end up doing. I think having someone who has consistency across the period of time is really valuable. So that was extraordinarily useful for me. And I'll sort of give you a couple of examples on here of, of how he helped just kind of reframe my thinking on some of these things. Uh, and, and a lot of it was, I guess everyone's brain's Different. I suspect many people listening to this are more of my kind of mechanical binary mindset. I, I think that's something that a lot of us in this industry kind of have. But he, he helped me get that much more into a, th this is a process. Uh, and as I said in the blog post, we, we came back to follow the process. So what do you do next? Okay, there's this thing. What happens if that doesn't work? Well, there's this other thing. Okay, and what about this? And what happens if that thing happens? So he was awesome. He did a really good job. Uh, and... Um, it's been a little while since I've seen him now, which which I think is a good thing. <laughs> I really like the guy. I'd like to bump into him. But not feeling like you need that is good. And this leads me very neatly into one of the last, one of the last, the last titles here, which is about It Gets Better. Now, I heard for years from people, they said, look, you know, I know you're stressed at the moment, you're having a hard time. Don't worry, it gets better. 
and you sort of get to the part where you're like, would you just shut up? <laughs> it's, it's, it's not better yet. Stop telling me it's going to get better. And in your pragmatic brain, you know that there are mechanics and things that need to be resolved, and after that, things will get better. But sometimes it just takes a period of time to get to that point. Now, I'm just going to quote exactly what I said here. I said, every person I spoke to who'd been through divorce and emerged on the other side told me the same thing. It gets better. And every example I gave before, everything from the abusive drunk to the person who was being abused by their partner, ended up finding new relationships. And this is sort of where I ended this because I, I had this, this nice photo of Charlotte and I from a couple of years ago uh, and a very nice comment from someone saying that, that I deserved to, to have a, a girl that fine, which is a very nice thing to say. I, I, I took that as a very genuine comment. And then, of course, following up with us, us getting married last year. And it, it did go through a cycle where you, you sort of, you're tracking along at life and everything is fine and then everything's not so fine. And you, you descend into these depths, but it, it does bottom and bounce and it, it may bounce back, it's certainly my case, to... To, to higher than where it ever was before. And I think that that's a fair analogy of every person I can think of. And again, these are all real people, some of them very, very close to me, who bounce back into places that were, were their best times. So that quote at the end, which I said I'd, um, I'd read, was, uh, was a Lao Tzu, <laughs> Lao Tzu comment. So it's only like a couple of thousand years old. But... It says, if you're depressed, you're living in the past. If you're anxious, you're living in the future. If you're at peace, you're living in the present. And I, it, it, like in all honesty, I like it, never ended up on medication or things like that. But I certainly went through periods where I felt depressed and, and definitely periods where I felt very, very anxious. And it took a long time for that to calm down and, and settle. Uh, and, and again, particularly my, my two very close friends here on the, on the, the live stream, saw that firsthand and, and don't talk about it now, <laughs> but, but would attest to that. It is an absolute roller coaster that does, like every roller coaster, have an end. Now, it's, it's not that I necessarily want to finish on that uh, very serious note, but if you do have questions or comments or whatever, pop them into the chat, uh, or you're welcome to go off topic into something else. Now, perhaps there's a as an attempt to not finish on such a, a sober, serious note. Um, I have been doing more IOT <laughs> today. So we are, we are now at a point where we're finishing most of the houseworks, which, which is actually really good. It's, it's good news. The garage is almost done. We just got to wait for some joinery to go and a lot of the painting got done. Today I managed to put photos back on the wall. I think I mentioned earlier on, I managed to destroy an iPad in the process and get an upgrade. But uh, the house is starting to look normal again. And I'm finally starting to get all of the bright things connected. I've got more Shelleys than ever, more IP addresses on the house than ever, which um, weird flex, but yeah, anyway. <laughs> it's actually kind of cool because everything is talking together. I went through an upgrade of my Ubiquity bits to 3.0 on the Ubiquity OS the other day. That, uh, that only broke on the first go, and then it worked. Uh, updated the Home Assistant bits to 2023.5 today because it's May. I think everything in IoT world is looking pretty flash these days. Most of the things are working really well. I've got a few things I want to do when I get back from Perth. And for those of you who have been playing with the IoT, 
I'm sure you'll agree that it is a little bit of a never-ending story. There is always something else that you want to do uh, with your connected bits. Uh, and inevitably with me, it's, it's the same thing. One of the things I'd like to do is my, my Davis weather station has, um, I don't think IR sensor is the right word. It's like solar sensor or something. How much sunlight is there? I'd really like that. So based on the amount of sunlight, then I could trigger on the evening automation, which turns on all the lights. So rather than just trying to do it like 45 minutes before sunset, I could say, if it is approaching sunset, three hours before sunset, and it's getting dark, then turn on the things. And this is a little bit of a, a, fun, a fun exercise. It's an itch to scratch. And I, I think something about those of us in this industry, many of us in this industry, is that it is technology is a passion and we're willing to spend time doing completely pointless shit because it is fun. Maybe that's a good positive note to end on. Look, I hope this has been useful. I hope it's been interesting. I know that a bit of that went on and it was a little bit serious, but I also know that it's very useful to a bunch of people. So I hope it's been useful for you. I hope that you don't need it to be useful, you know what I mean? Uh, and I look forward to writing that blog post about the lack of the padlock icon and the new icon, which we now will never be able to think of it anything other than what we've already discussed in this live stream. Thanks, folks. I'm going to chime out, uh, and I'll see you next week once I'm back from Perth.